from Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hest. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. I'm Matt Zemek, along with my producer and co-host Ian Hest, and it is Oregon State Week for USC, and it, it this is the biggest game of the Lincoln-Riley era to date. I mean, maybe the, the Utah game later in the season will become a, a bigger game, but like this is huge because you look at USC's schedule, and we've talked about this through the offseason. I've been talking about it on uh, the show that I do with Mark Rogers at the Voice of College Football. We have our Tuesday show uh, at 105 Pacific time every, you know, every Tuesday, every week. Uh, the thing I've been talking about to Mark and anyone else who has me on for a media appearance this offseason, that the Oregon State game is the hinge point. Now, the Utah game is going to get Big national attention. We know that. We have the Notre Dame game at the end of the season. You know, Marcus Freeman against Lincoln Riley. That's going to be a big deal. But this Oregon State game, USC can get past Corvallis, a place where we know Trojan teams have been ambushed in the past under Pete Carroll. Uh, It's been a graveyard for the Trojans. If they can get past this game, there's no other really particularly threatening non-Utah road game. And so the Trojans' path to being eight and one in the Pac-12 and winning at least 10 games and making a New Year's Six bowl game and reaching the Pac-12 championship game. If they beat Oregon State, it all lines up really well. But the Beavers are lurking and the Beavers are good. And we have a guest to talk about uh, Beavlet, as they call him on the No Truck Stops podcast. Uh, Avery, uh, Brave Grapes is her uh, Twitter account. You have the grapes, you have the banana, banana morphs, you have the cat, equity <laughs> brewing, and you have the race car. No, no pit stops. That's Matt Niber, team at No Truck Stops Podcast. So Avery is part of that team, and they they refer to Oregon State as Beavlet. They beave leave over there uh, about Beavlet. So Avery, welcome back to the show. You know, we've had you on before. We're just gonna dive into USC Oregon State. And so my first question is. You know, through three weeks, how much do we know about these two teams? How much do we know about Oregon State? You know, because uh, Oregon State beat Boise State, and that looked like a really good win in week one. But, like, Boise State doesn't look good. Like, Boise State struggled to score against Tennessee Martin uh, this past weekend. The Broncos just don't look that great. Uh, I would say that Oregon State winning at Fresno State, now that was a high-quality win because we saw how physical – Fresno State was against USC. Uh, Fresno State uh, actually had a pass rush, uh, you know, and Caleb Williams did not look elite against Fresno State's defense. I mean, now USC still scored, but had to convert a bunch of fourth downs. It was not the easy breezy game that the Trojans had against Stanford the week before. So Oregon State winning on the road against Fresno State, like that's a really solid win, but on balance. What 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 do we know about the Beavers through week three? How how are you looking at these two teams heading into their week four showdown? 
Yeah, thanks for having me back on. I'm excited to be here. Um, I, I definitely feel like I know more about Oregon State in week three than I did preseason. Um, but that being said, it's not a lot. I did expect Oregon State to come into the season similarly to how they left off last year as a really run-heavy team. I said multiple times that last year I think Oregon State had the best run scheme in the conference, and I felt like whoever they had running the ball, whether that be B.J. Baylor or Deshaun Fenwick, like they were really successful on the ground and in the air was kind of more their weakness. Like Chance Nolan was pretty limited. He was doing mostly check downs to his running backs. He wasn't throwing the ball downfield. And so they kind of lived and died by the run. And so I expected that going into this season. And let me tell you, I was shocked to see the offense completely flip. Uh, the run game is definitely where they've been limited. Chance Nolan looks like a completely different quarterback for Oregon State. He is making throws that are so much more difficult than anything we saw from him last year throwing down the field, playing with a ton of confidence. And I think you can definitely attribute that back to Jonathan Smith, um, Oregon State's head coach, who like is famously known as probably one of their best quarterbacks in Oregon State history. He has made Chance Nolan a really confident and great quarterback, who I think it's early. It's only week going into week four. I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. So I know now that Oregon State prefers the pass and they've, they're doing really well passing and their running has just kind of been quiet. Uh, I think they're averaging five yards per carry, which is not great considering how well they were doing last year. So it's kind of interesting to see just how different Oregon state uh, looks on the offensive side of the ball going into week four. So let, let's follow up on that point, Avery, because as we as we size up the matchup against USC, now looking looking at things from a USC perspective, you know, I think it's pretty obvious. USC's run defense has been worse than its pass defense. And that's not to say that the pass defense has been great, but just if you're comparing USC's run defense and its pass defense, the run defense has a lot more holes a lot more flaws. So if you're Jonathan Smith, if you're trying to attack Alex Grinch's USC defense in this game, two-part question, Avery. One, do you think Jonathan Smith is kind of saving things in reserve that he's not trying to be too upfront about the run game, but he's going to then, you know, really try to emphasize that against USC and really smash mouth it? Or do you think that you ride the hot hand with Chance Nolan and you pass downfield and then you set up the run later in the game? How do you how do you think uh, Jonathan Smith is going to go about it? And what are your own thoughts about you know this matchup between Oregon State's offense and USC's defense? It's a really interesting matchup because preseason, I would have said, um, I, I think going into the season, we expected there to be some issues on USC's defense. Like that would definitely be their weak point, especially with the run game. Um, and I would have thought this was a better matchup going into the season because I, like I said earlier, I expected so much more from Oregon State's running game and it just has not been there this season. And I think for Jonathan Smith to have a prayer in this game, they have to establish the run. Because pretty obviously that's been the weak spot over the last three weeks, especially against Stanford. Like EJ Smith is an incredibly talented running back, one of the best in the conference, but he had his way with USC's 
uh, defense for a, a large part of that game. And I agree with you when you said that their pass defense, USC's pass defense, isn't elite by any means. But I feel like the run really has to be established in order to like even keep up. Because let's be honest, USC's offense is incredible. Like they're you need to expect them to score on nearly every drive. It's it's amazing. So to have a chance against USC, it's I don't believe it's about getting stops stops defensively. I think it's about keeping up with them, <laughs> scoring. Um, and I think there needs to be a good balance between running and passing there, um, because you know I I think. Oregon State's receivers are not the most talented in the world. They've had some issues with drops. The drops were a huge part of why Oregon State played Fresno State really close to the end of the game. And even with not an elite passing defense, I feel like it's something that USC could shut down fairly easily if they really wanted to, especially since Luke Musgrave, um, Oregon State's tight end, is looking like he'll be out for this game. And that's one of Chance Nolan's favorite targets. It's one of the guys that is the best at avoiding drops on the team. So I think it will definitely rely on Jonathan Smith getting the run game going. So let's play Let's play a little uh, prices, right? Pricing game here, Avery. And uh, that simply means I'm going to give you two numbers and you pick the number, which you think is going to have a bigger uh, impact on this game in terms of a hypothetical scenario. Oregon state will win if it controls the ball for 40 minutes or if it scores 35 points, which number do you think would mean more for Oregon state in the attempt to beat USC? Oregon state would have a better chance if it controls the ball for 40 minutes or if it scores 35 points, which number are you taking uh, of the two? I don't think 35 points is ever going to be enough to beat USC this season. So I definitely comes down. Definitely think it comes down to controlling the ball. I don't know how much you can do that um, when you're playing USC, though, just because they're they can score so fast. So. If, if they can control the ball, they can control the clock, which is something that Jonathan Smith did really effectively last season in his big wins, especially his win over Utah last year. Uh, I think they could they could be in this game. All right. Now, one obvious plot point heading into USC Oregon State is that these two teams have played the same opponent in consecutive weeks. Oregon State played Fresno State in week two. USC played Fresno State in week three. So very simply, Avery, from your observations of those two games against the same opponent, what what do you glean from those matchups? I mean, obviously, we know that Lincoln Riley and Jonathan Smith, they're going to both be looking at game tape of these two Fresno State games. They're going to be comparing and cross-matching and studying how – they attacked Fresno State, how Fresno State adjusted to them. What are your thoughts in terms of what you saw with these two teams, USC and Oregon State, playing the same opponent, Fresno, over the past two weeks? I think the biggest difference is the talent. I think it's very obvious when you're comparing these two games that USC has the talent and Oregon State does not. Because in the USC game, like everyone's saying that 
Caleb Williams did not have a great game. It was not an amazing game for him. It's not what we've seen him do. And they still like controlled that game and won by a decent margin. And like, I don't think it was ever in doubt that USC was going to win that game. Whereas over on the flip side with Oregon State, you know, they had a lot of issues with drops offensively. They couldn't really get the run game going. And then their defense, who is considered to be one of the best Oregon State defense in the last like 15 years, <laughs> just looked very untalented, which is what they are. Like it's an undertalented team. But oh, back over to USC. USC defense made them look like a mortal team, I would say. I keep saying that USC looks unbeatable and incredible, but in this Fresno State game, I think it it was clear that, you know, they're they're still on the same plane of existence as the rest of the Pac-12. They just have an unreal offense, but their their defense is going to keep them down on everyone else's level. So I I would say it has me worried for Oregon State for sure, <laughs> comparing these two games. Um, you know, obviously the offenses get top billing here. You know, USC that goes without saying that, you know, the Trojans just have a very high-end Cadillac offense capable of lighting up the scoreboard. And, of course, Oregon State has to both score and control the ball, as you've accurately noted. But, you know, what about the defenses? And let's let's look at that Oregon State defense for a moment. Um, you know, held Fresno State, uh, you know, prevented Fresno State from exploding. I mean, Fresno State made some plays in that game, but, you know, the, the Bulldogs didn't go completely wild and the game was close enough that Chance Malone was able to win on that end of game play and, and going for it uh, on fourth down. Um, but, uh, you know, the obvious concern from a USC perspective is that left tackle position. We had some injuries. Cortland Ford did not play against Fresno State. I imagine he's going to play against Oregon State, but he's not going to be 100%. He's not going to be 100% healthy and strong. And his backup, Bobby Haskins, he left the game against Fresno State in the fourth quarter. So he's not going to be 100% even if he does play. And we saw that when USC had to go deeper into the depth chart at left tackle with Mason Murphy, he got swallowed up. He got eaten alive by Fresno State's uh, defensive end. So does Oregon State have the edge rusher? Does Oregon State have the pass rush based on what you've seen from Beavlet uh, these first few weeks to, to make a, 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 a mount a credible threat to the USC passing game to provide that backside pressure, which you know get, can get Caleb Williams a little bit unsettled and create the kind of game Oregon State wants on defense? Ooh. I mean, I'm sure that's going to be a huge part of their defensive planning is making Caleb Williams uncomfortable because let's be honest, Oregon State is not going to be able to cover the guys that USC has in the receiver position. Like we saw Jordan Addison trample over Caillou Blue Kelly, who in my opinion is the first or second best cornerback in this conference. Um, so I think that's going to be like their whole defensive game plan is getting Caleb Williams to be uncomfortable, um, try to force some mistakes there. But honestly, I don't think we've seen anything from Oregon State to show that even with a backup 
left tackle that they can really do enough damage to sack Caleb Williams frequently. It's kind of let just. Me, yeah. Let me so ask a, a very simple, let me ask a very simple follow-up along these lines. So if you're Oregon state, do you think, do you rely on your base front four to generate pressure so that you can keep seven players back sitting back in coverage? Like that's what Fresno state did. Fresno state had all its guys back. So, you know, you didn't see USC, landing the deep shots that it hit against Stanford. You know, Fresno State was taking away the deep ball, forcing Caleb Williams to be more patient, throwing short passes. So if you're Oregon State, do you try and rely on your base front four to generate pressure so that you can have more guys back down the field to guard USC receivers? Or do you need to send your linebackers and occasionally your safeties on blitzes to you know, rattle Caleb Williams. If you're choosing between rely on the base front four and using blitzes, how do you think the Beavers uh, are going to go about uh, their business on Saturday? I feel like leaving the deep shots open are is a bad idea for Oregon State just because if you let USC score fast, that's going to cause a lot of bleeding that you're never going to be able to stop. Like, I think the whole game plan for Oregon State this game should be how to slow the bleeding down. You're not going to be able to prevent it. But if you let USC score fast, you're not going to be able to catch up with them. Oregon State just does not have the talent. They do not have um, the guys to be able to keep up with that amount of scoring. So I feel like it makes sense to focused on your front four getting pressure and like trying to prevent USC from just picking apart all the openings in the secondary. But it is, it is a hard situation because if you do throw more pressure at them with your linebackers and your safeties, if you land those hits on Caleb Williams, that would be super beneficial to Oregon state. So you're kind of in a situation where you have to weigh the, pros and cons (laughs) of making this risky decision but I I expect from Jonathan Smith we'll see um the front four focusing on getting pressure on Caleb Williams uh you know in terms of other pressure points uh connected to this game you you mentioned earlier that Luke Musgrave the tight end has a great rapport with Chance Nolan in the Oregon State passing game you know, he's probably going to be out. You know, that that report came down last week and nothing apparently has changed on that front. Uh, you know, we're recording this podcast at the beginning of the week. So we'll see if the injury report changes as the week goes on. And if you're, you know, if you're listening to this podcast on, let's say, Thursday or Friday, maybe the injury report will be different. But let's let's assume for just for the sake of conversation, Avery, that Luke Musgrave is out. Who steps up? Who replaces him? Who becomes the new X factor in the Oregon state passing game in terms of being a reliable target for chance Nolan or Avery, maybe it's just more a matter of, you know, does chance Nolan need to be more of a running quarterback in this game, providing a new dimension with Musgrave out? How, how do you think Oregon state's going to balance those kinds of tension points on offense? Um. That's a hard question because Luke Musgraves, I think in a lot of ways, was kind of like a comfort target for Chance Nolan. Like, you know that if you get it to Musgraves, he's in a good pass. He's going to catch the ball and he's going to make a play. Um, But they do have other guys, good targets. Anthony Gold and Treshawn Harrison have both been pretty good targets for 
Oregon State, the biggest issue has just been their drops. So I would say to replace what Luke Musgraves was adding to this is to get the running backs more involved in the passing game. You know, I, I think Chance Nolan is going to have to move around a little bit more to generate more time for his guys to get open. And in that case, if he's like moving around, those those running backs need to get open to be an option there. I, I feel like they just have not been involved. Deshaun Fenwick and Damian Martinez are like their two number one guys. And they, they haven't been involved in the passing game at all. Whereas last season, we saw a lot from B.J. Baylor. He was constantly getting involved in the passing game and adding that other option for Chance Nolan. It's, it's really fascinating, Avery. I would just make this one observation uh, before I uh, ask, ask the next question. And that is that I think, I think Jonathan Smith is, has been keeping his cards close to the vest. I think he's waiting to spring a bunch of things on USC. Like you don't want to, you don't want to show everything to a team like USC. You want to, uh, you know, if you're playing them early in the season and I think Jonathan Smith is sitting on something, I think that, you know, maybe some wheel routes to running backs coming out of the backfield to get USC's linebackers, you know, pushed back and to therefore set up the run later in the game. I think we might see something like that uh, when Oregon State goes up against USC. So as, as we continue uh, with this, uh, our analysis of USC, Oregon State, Avery, let's turn to the USC side a little bit more. And one, one of the obvious things about USC's defense so far, Avery, as you well know, is that the Trojans have gotten a lot of turnovers you know, takeaways, and they've gotten a lot of red zone stops. But, of course, when you're getting a lot of red zone stops, what does that mean? It means that the other team has the ball close to your goal line a lot. So, like, opposing teams have been moving the ball regularly on USC. And the Trojans have gotten a lot of red zone stops and takeaways. That's not sustainable in terms of, you know, if a team is always getting into the red zone, well, there might come a game where the opposing team finishes the drive and you're up a creek. Uh, without a paddle against the Beavers. So, you know, do, do do you think that, you know, USC's red zone stops indicate like a good bend, don't break philosophy in action? Like, like this is kind of the way USC is going to need to play during the year. Like we know USC's defensive personnel is limited. So like this is the style USC stuck with, or do we make the evaluation that, Actually, USC's just been lucky on defense the first few weeks, and Oregon State could be uniquely positioned to expose this defense in ways that Fresno State and Stanford were not able to do. What, what's your take on that? It's hard to say because they just haven't played enough games. Oregon State will be the best offense they've played so far this season, so I think that will pose a unique challenge. I do say, I will say, looking at USC games, I feel like the turnovers have been very lucky. Like I think a, a good comparison is Wazoo gets a lot of turnovers, and watching Wazoo play, I think that's kind of part of their defensive playbook where they look for opportunities to cause fumbles. Whereas USC, it seems like a lot of the turnovers have just kind of happened for them. Um, and I don't think that's sustainable at all, um, especially since Chance Nolan has not been making very many mistakes that would lead to pick sixes, for example. Um, I do think that Oregon State 
is more likely to score in the red zone than any of the teams that USC has played so far. So it will be interesting to see. I I really just am not sure um, how it will go to the benefit of USC's defense. They know they have an offense that can catch up (laughs) if they get scored on. So we'll have to see. I, I really, I'm really interested to see if their defense actually struggles a lot against a better offense. Okay, final question, Avery, and that is that, you know, if USC wins this game, then, you know, hey, Lincoln Riley, he's on his way, Trojans are back. That's a pretty simple storyline if USC wins. But what if Oregon State wins? What if Oregon State pulls off the upset? We have really the rise of the Pacific Northwest so far in this Pac-12 season that uh, the, the Oregon and Washington schools among them, just one loss, and that was Oregon losing to Georgia and every other Pac-12 school would have lost to Georgia. Now, of course, you know Oregon lost by 46. That was a lot more than most people thought. But still, like USC wasn't going to beat Georgia. Washington wasn't going to beat Georgia. Washington State wasn't going to beat Georgia. No one was going to beat Georgia. So the, the Northwest is unbeaten except for a game against Georgia. Uh, really impressive to see Washington, you know, the Huskies, what they did to Michigan State. So if Oregon State beats USC, what do you think that means for the Pac-12 race this season? Uh, we, we don't need to focus really on you know what it means for the next five years. Just what it, what how you think an Oregon State win would change the Pac-12 race in 2022? I honestly think that if USC lost to Oregon State, I'm not. I still don't think they lose another game this entire season. Like, obviously, they're heading to Utah, which won't be an easy game. It will be a test for sure, but they'll be favored too, especially since Utah's defense has struggled <laughs> um, more than anyone thought they would. But you know, I, I guess I'm just. I'm a big fan of Oregon State. I watch every Oregon State game. So I think I have a better understanding of, of Oregon State than most fans in general do because obviously they're constantly on the Pac-12 network. They're just not as visible as other teams. So I think the narrative if Oregon State were to win this game is that, oh, USC is bad and not really giving credit to what Oregon State is as a program. Like Oregon State had some shocking wins last season. They're coached really well and they've made improvements for them to be better this season. And I don't think it's a huge mark on USC's record. Like Oregon State is getting votes in the AP poll. Um, They would be ranked after beating USC. And there's no reason to assume that Oregon State goes on to win less than, I don't know, seven games like they could easily go to this Oregon State team could easily go 10 and 2 9 and 3 um and so I don't know how much it changes it because I think USC is still going to win a majority of their games if not the rest of them so I think it definitely shakes it up for that second team in the the conference championship now that divisions aren't uh, part of this race. It's just interesting because I think USC is like clearly figured to be one of the spots. And I'm not sure that changes if they lose to Oregon State. Well, we are going to be uh, following this game very eagerly, uh, maybe not on television since it's, it's on the Pac-12 network, but we're definitely going to be following it. And I know that you, Avery, and the rest of the team at the No Truck Stops podcast, 
We're going to have a lot to say about this game and just want to promote the No Truck Stops podcast for fun, irreverent, but informed analysis. You really get some fun. You get some serious chops analysis from the team at the No Truck Stops podcast. You can listen to that podcast at Apple and Spotify and other places where you listen to your favorite college football podcasts. Avery, thank you for coming back to the Trojans Wired podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a ton of fun, especially when I'm talking about Oregon State. Absolutely. Absolutely.